0: And welcome to our roundtable discussion on aspects of cancer associated thrombosis, both the treatment, uh, management, and prevention. Uh, I'm Dr. Jean Connors, a hematologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Dana Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. And with me today, I have two outstanding colleagues.
1: Yeah, hello. My name is Chi Hanai. I'm from the Medical University of Vienna, and it's a pleasure to be with you today.
2: Hi, I'm Alo Karana, I'm a medical oncologist at the Cleveland Clinic in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and likewise uh, excited to be here today.
0: Yes, and so, we, you know, uh, I think we can all agree that we've seen uh, marked uh, improvements in care and, and significant attention paid to the management of thrombosis in patients with cancer. Certainly in the last decade, we've had improvements in uh, treatments that make life easier for our patients and we've had uh, improvement in, in sort of identifying risks uh, and balancing risks and benefits. Um, with that, we, guidelines have been developed that address uh, management uh, and uh, treatment of cancer-associated VTE. And I wonder, uh, Alok, if you could just briefly uh, comment on these guidelines and, and how you view the role of these guidelines in your daily practice.
2: Yeah, we've seen some major changes in the treatment guidelines for cancer-associated VTE in the past several years uh, from going on, you know, if we go back two decades, it was just vitamin K antagonists alone. And then for the last decade and a half, it was sort of a one-size-fits-all approach that every cancer patient with VTE should get six months of low molecular weight heparin monotherapy. But in the latest version of the guidelines, we see a great deal more uh, individual ability to individualize treatment. Uh, direct oral anticoagulants, such as idoxaban, uh, rivaroxaban, apixaban uh, for many patients, low weight heparin monotherapy for other patients for whom bleeding, uh, particularly GI bleeding, is a concern, um, or a mix and match of these, uh, these approaches. So, so I think there's a greater emphasis on individualization and understanding both the risk of recurrent VTE and the risk of bleeding in the latest iteration of the guidelines.
0: Yeah. No, I think they're, are vast improvements as many patients who've been on anticoagulation, even with cancer for a number of years would say. But Chian, I wonder um, when you look at your daily practice and the types of patients represented in your practice, whether they be inpatients or outpatients, um, do, do the guidelines help with your approach to managing these patients?
1: I think it's very good to have these guidelines because in the guidelines. So the basis for the guidelines is that the latest evidence is extracted from the literature and it's evaluated. And then you get a good synthesis, not only of the evidence, but also suggestions for how to treat in specific clinical situations. For instance, so in guidelines, they focus on the different clinical scenarios that we see in our clinical practice. So for instance, a cancer patient that is hospitalized and uh, for major cancer surgery. So how to um, uh, perform trauma prophylaxis after major cancer surgery. So there is a clear statement here what to do. Then there are statements on other patients who are hospitalized for medical illness or other reasons. And then they also really specify um, uh, how to treat a patient with a cancer um, based on the on the trial da- data that we had. And uh, we had a couple of trials in the last year. So we didn't have the chance because of the pandemic to discuss probably those of those trials in detail that compared uh, DOAX with low molecular heparin, which was the gold standard, as Alok mentioned, for one and a half decades.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think very exciting times just within the last uh, five years with regard to the cancer. Associated thrombosis. And, you know, we had uh, uh, DOAX had uh, emerged on the scene for treatment of VTE in in the non cancer population in 2012, 2014, even for some of them. Um, And many of us may have been using them, if you will, off label um, to treat cancer associated VTE in patients that we hoped we were selecting uh, that would, would benefit compared to low molecular weight heparin. But it is very nice to see uh, Hakasi BTE cancer, um, the Select-D trial, and, and certainly Caravaggio, um, which I was part of, which was presented March 2020 uh, at ACC. So again, I, I think it's good, and I think we've all—all all three of us—have been involved in writing guidelines for different societies. Uh, and I think I don't know, Alok, if you can—if you can confirm that I believe all societies that have written guidelines, as far as I'm aware, um, whether it's um, ESMO, ASCO, ISTH, um, I believe ASH as well, uh, and societies I'm probably missing. Um, now list DOAC as as first line uh, for treatment. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment on that and, and how they might differ or be similar, particularly with regard to where low molecular weight heparin ranks on their recommendations for treatment of cancer-associated VTE.
2: Yes, that's absolutely correct that all of the guidelines have responded to the data from randomized clinical trials. And, you know, I think it's wonderful that all of these different trials were specifically conducted in people with cancer rather than extrapolating data from non-cancer populations into cancer, because cancer patients are at higher risk for recurrent VT and are at higher risk for bleeding than the non-cancer population. I think it's fantastic that these uh, trials were done in a specific cancer population. And the guidelines have generally been very much in agreement, adding direct oral and to first-line management of cancer-associated VTE. If people are in the hospital, you might want to start off with with a parenteral uh, drug, such as a heparin. If people are in the outpatient setting, we now have options to start uh, patients off directly on a a direct oral and uh, hopefully avoiding the need for urgent care visits or uh, emergency room visits, or even a, a brief hospitalization. Uh, and uh, in general, the guidelines are in accord uh, across these different uh, societies, saying that yes, for most patients, direct oral anticoagulants are an option. Uh, and the real caution where they interject is in people with uh, GI bleeding and uh, risk of GI bleeding, where they're saying, well, maybe consider a low molecular weight heparin. But even here, there's flexibility and uh, the ability to take patient preferences and values into account before making a clinical decision.
1: And and another area where the guidelines are also in agreement is the setting of uh, primary prevention in the outpatient setting and cancer patients receiving systemic anti-cancer therapy. So we had, over the last years, two randomized controlled trials where um, primary thromboprophylaxis with a DOAC was done based on risk assessment. So patients at high risk of VT were randomized to a DOE versus a placebo. And here a risk assessment model was used that has been developed many years ago, 2008, published by Dr. Alok Koran and colleagues. Um, That was the basis for this trial. And here it's also wonderful to see that the guidelines say, look, we have evidence. Primary, it's time for primary prevention based on risk assessment. But I see here in clinical practice, while in treatment, so we implement guidelines, uh, but in the prophylaxis um, setting, I don't see at least yeah, in the setting where I work, a systemic implementation of the guideline recommendation with regard to primary prevention here.
0: Yeah, before Alok, before you get to comment on your excellent work there, I will echo what Shihan just said in, in that in, it seems that like we as coagulation experts and you, Alok, as both a medical oncologist and coagulation expert, we're very, very aware of this data um, I am very impressed that by using the Carana score to select patients at higher risk, you actually improve the risk-benefit basi- ratio and you decrease the number needed to treat compared to the unselected uh, patients in the trials with low molecular weight heparin, where the overall VTE risk was 4%, 5% in, in you know, the placebo arm, a very hard sell. So your new data certainly is compelling. Uh, but to Chian's point, implementing that and the uptake has actually been surprisingly slow. I think in the oncology world, so I wonder, Alok, if you can you can comment on on ways we might uh, address that and improve on that.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a very important point that both of you have made, which is that you know it's it's one set of science revolves around developing concepts for clinical trials, conducting the clinical trials, demonstrating sort of the, the proof of the concept. A second set is to make sure that the guidelines assess these trials fairly and provide a consensus, and both those things have happened. Uh, But there is a large part of science, implementation science, that needs to take into account and does take into account sort of these developments and then looks at ways, how can we implement this? Uh, you know, just as a, a reminder, colonoscopy recommendations have been around now for twenty, thirty years, and yet, you know, sixty percent of the U.S. population doesn't get you know, only sixty percent of the U.S. population gets a colonoscopy, and that's after twenty years of of randomized data and, and guidelines. And, and so, I think it's not appropriate for the this community to just sort of sit back and say, "Well, we did the trials, therefore everybody should do this." But we have to look at ways in which. Uh, guidelines can be implemented. And it's important not just for the specific guideline, but for guidelines in general. And I'll point to two quick models. Uh, One is from Vermont, University of Vermont, where they were able to use an electronic alert to uh, identify high-risk patients. And those patients are referred to a service comprising uh, pharmacists and uh, advanced practice providers who then educate the patient about DVTPE risk and recommend prophylaxis. And with this uh, alert, uh, 94% of patients uh, went on prophylaxis. So it's not that it it can't be done or that patients are resistant or providers are resistant. It's just that we have to have the in- infrastructure in place uh, to be able to do this. A second model is currently p- being piloted here at my institution, the Cleveland Clinic. We we don't have data on that, but it also uses a similar electronic alert to, uh, to, uh, to warn uh, providers and then a link to a prescription to be able to send the prescription out.
0: Oh, that's, a, that's an impressive model, eh? because I think the first at, at Vermont in, requires administration uh, support for staffing, but the second uh, electronic alert model um, seems to require less staff, uh, although you might put more of a burden on the individual provider. Um, but, but that sounds wonderful in a way to bring the data to the practicing clinician and, and I don't want to say force them uh, to adhere to guidelines, but perhaps enhance their ability uh, during their busy day. Uh, Chihan, I don't know if you want to say anything more about uh, prophylaxis and and room for improvement uh, as we move forward.
1: I think there is a lot of research to really, um, yeah, facilitate uh, prophylaxis. So uh, there is even approach is to improve risk assessment uh, to develop novel risk assessment model to select even much higher risk patients So this is, could be one way uh, but there is already a very clear uh i mean data that we have here yeah um, maybe i with regard to guidelines coming back to the to the guidelines um i think having worked in some of the guidelines and guideline developments what i like in guidelines is also that next to the evidence that is extracted they also identify gaps in the evidence so and where we should maybe do more work to improve where we need more um, more data and information here um maybe uh, this is also very important uh, to to highlight the the value of the guidelines here yes. I don't know what you think.
0: No, I I agree. I I think when you're writing guidelines and we're following strict methodology, um, you realize, as you said, Sihan, the the gaps or the holes in the data uh, in areas where more work is needed. Uh, and although guidance statements can be written um, based on, say, expert opinion, uh, it's not the same as having that gold standard randomized control data. So I, I look forward to seeing data from both of you in the future uh, on, on these aspects of cancer associated VTE care. And on behalf of myself and my colleagues, Dr. Alok Karana and Dr. Chia and I, I'd like to thank you for uh, attending and watching our roundtable discussion.